Welcome to the Spooky Electric Podcast by me, Trent Venegas. You need another podcast like you need another hole in your head. So here we go. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Spooky Electric. Um, We are well getting well into 2021 and um, things are going really, really great. As I mentioned last week, we have a new president as of the recording of this podcast episode. President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris have been inaugurated and it was a really great day. The whole entire day was just really amazing from the uh, beginning of the ceremonies to the swearing in to all the musical performances um, to the virtual parade and the big concert celebration at the end of the day. So that was a really great day um, filled with a lot of music and a lot of really great live performances. So hopefully you music fans out there got to uh, watch and enjoy. All of those performances are for sure archived online on YouTube. So if you missed any of them, you definitely should check them out. I have to say I was very, very impressed with Lady Gaga's performance of the Star Spangled Banner, which is a very difficult song to sing. And not everybody can really put their own stamp on that song and make it uh, a little fresh, a little new and exciting. But she definitely did. So props to Lady Gaga. I don't know. She might have made me a super fan with that performance. Um, but not to go too, off, too much off on that tangent. Uh, it is time for another episode of Spooky Electric. And... Uh, For this week, uh, for my little chat with all of you, I've decided to talk about duos. Now, you may recall that uh, a few weeks ago, my friend Austin Riva and I uh, did an episode together where we talked about our favorite duets. And duets are different from duos, as I'm sure you are well aware. Uh, A duet is when two solo artists or two individual uh, artists or performers come together to collaborate on one song, or even maybe they collaborate a couple of times, maybe they record it together, or maybe they just perform it one time, which is a very special uh, sort of thing. Um, Duos are two artists who combine to create one artist, like one artistic unifying entity, and they create a career where they uh, make their own music, whether they write it themselves or not, they perform it, they uh, exist as a single entity made up of two people. Now, This is different than a group. Obviously, in a group, you have more than just two people. Um, So maybe that's a topic for another another episode. But for this episode, we are talking about uh, duos and, in particular, my favorite duos and my favorite songs from those duos. So 
uh, I had a really fun time putting together this playlist because every time I sit down to do a playlist, uh, I go with like the first thing that comes to mind and then that song goes into the playlist and nine times out of 10, it stays in the playlist. Sometimes I do, you know, a little bit of editing and, you know, maybe a song gets taken out after it's put in or the position is changed or whatever. But generally when I have an idea for a playlist, which will become an episode, I title it and I put the first song that comes to mind into that playlist. Then I work from there. So in terms of thinking about famous duos and my favorite duos, it's not something that I think about a lot. I don't think about like, oh, like duos. I just think about like my favorite songs uh, or, you know, it, it starts from there. So when I was thinking about duos, I was very pleasantly surprised at all of the duos that I love. I mean, I love so many and it got difficult to pare it down to uh, a manageable number of, of uh, duos and their corresponding songs. So let's get right into the playlist. I will talk about the songs that I selected from the particular duos, and then I'll talk a little bit about the duos themselves, just in case you may or may not be aware of who they are, what they've done, and, uh, you know, their accolades and their achievements and that kind of thing. So let's get to it. Let's talk about my favorite duos. So when I decided to select which duos of my favorites to talk about, these aren't really in any kind of order, except for at the end. Um, so the duos, as I talk about them, they're not ranked in any kind of preference, um, but I did decide to save one duo for last, and obviously I will get to to them when I get to the end of the list. So starting out, the first track on this playlist is You Make My Dreams Come True by Hall and Oates. Uh, this song is by the American duo Hall and Oates, taken from their ninth studio album, Voices, which was released in 1980. The song reached number five on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1981. The song has been featured in films, TV shows, commercials, you name it, uh, and also was played during the fireworks and drone light show following then-president-elect Biden's victory speech in Wilmington, Delaware, on November 7th, 2020 which is a nice little tie-in to what I just talked about with now President Biden being uh, the president of the United States. Um, Hall and Oates, like, what can I say? The American pop rock duo, which formed in 1970 in Philadelphia. Daryl Hall is generally the lead vocalist. John Oates primarily plays electric guitar and provides backing vocals. The two write most of the songs they perform separately or in collaboration. They achieved their greatest fame from the mid-1970s to the mid-1980s with the fusion of rock and roll and rhythm and blues. Hall & Oates have had six number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100, 
In 2003, Hall and Oates were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in April 2014. On September 2nd, 2016, they received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Hall and Oates, for sure, one of the greatest duos of the modern age, of the rock and roll age, of the MTV generation. When I tell you that Hall and Oates were just all over MTV, um, they were just superstars uh, on on uh, MTV in the 80s. Um, when I think about my favorite artists from the 80s, honestly, it's not like Hall and Oates are at the top, but they're definitely in the list of artists that I, I grew up loving. Um, their songs are really, really catchy. Those guys can write a pop hook like nobody's business. I have to admit, the very first time that I became like aware of who Hall & Oates were, it was not under the most favorable conditions. Um, <clears throat> MTV had, and I, I, I'm not exactly sure, I'm just remembering this now, so please bear with me. So MTV aired this um, like convention or this conference, this music conference on their channel. Maybe it was on MTV News. I don't know that it was aired live, but it was a music conference where they had a panel of artists who were um, established or up and coming. And on the panel were uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates and Madonna and other artists. And as I remember it, the topic was about music videos and how music videos might help or hurt the music industry. And Hall and Oates together as a unit talked about, or they tried to make the argument that they didn't really like that music videos were um, becoming popular because it was taking away from the music. You know, people were getting too obsessed with the visual, not so much the music. And Madonna very brazenly spoke up. You know, she was up and coming. She was kind of a nobody at this time. Hollow Notes were a very established big act. And she was like, no, like, and like music videos is a new way to promote uh, music. It opens up music artists to whole uh, other uh, audiences and, and a new generation of fans. And that really stuck with me because obviously growing up with MTV, I was very much a proponent and a big, big fan of music videos and MTV in general. So she was speaking for me because, you know, here were these quote unquote old guys arguing against like this new, uh, like this new technology. And she was like, no, man, like this is what's cool. This is where the future is. And she was right. Videos might have a limited audience in one sense, but on the, on the, on the other hand, you could be reaching a lot of people that would never be able to come and see you live. So... I think that they're definitely an advantage. I think in and making kids a... only. I'm sorry, but you know, kids today um, worship the television, so I think it's a great way to reach them. I sort of resent the fact that a kid grows up, you know, listening to the radio and listening to the great music, you know, legacy of music that we have, and dreams about playing the guitar or playing the drums, and all of a sudden has to be an actor. To me, that makes absolutely no sense at all. If someone wants to be, that's great. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, I always wanted to be a musician. And uh, 
you know, to me, that's uh, still my purpose. Yeah, but, but listen, when you perform on stage, you're acting. I mean, that's a performance. So what's, I mean, if someone puts a camera on you, what's the difference? <laughs> so I remember thinking, like, who are these guys? And so I was, like, definitely not, like, a Holodotes fan at that moment. But as I got to hear their music and learn about them more, uh, for sure, I am now a huge Holodotes fan. Their greatest hits, I think they have like uh, so many greatest hits. It's on like two or three volumes or four volumes. I don't know. They have so many. And those those compilations of their music are amongst my favorite albums. Because, again, like I said, these guys write like the cr the best, craziest, catchiest pop hooks, pop songs. And... Um, having them all collected onto greatest hits collections or compilations uh, is a great, great way to really, really enjoy Hall & Oates. Um, so yeah, You Make My Dreams, great song. You've heard it in so many movies, so many commercials over the years. Um, so even if you don't know the song, for sure you know the song. So definitely Hall & Oates had to be like the, fir like the first person that came to mind, the first group sorry the first duo that came to mind when i was thinking about like what are my favorite duos so they were the uh the seed that germinated for the um creation of this playlist and this podcast idea uh track two is here comes the rain again by eurythmics a 1983 song by the british duo eurythmics and the opening track from their third studio album touch it was written by group members Annie Lennox and David Stewart and produced by David Stewart. The song was released on January 12th, 1984 as the album's third single in the UK and in the United States as the first single. It became Eurythmics' second top 10 US hit, peaking at number four on the Billboard Hot 100. Here Comes the Rain Again hit number eight in the UK singles chart, becoming their fifth consecutive top 10 single in their home country. The Eurythmics were a British pop duo consisting of members Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. Stewart and Lennox were both previously in The Tourists, a band which broke up in 1980. Eurythmics were formed later that year in Wagga Wagga, Australia, the duo released their first studio album, In the Garden, in 1981 to little success, but went on to achieve global success when their second album, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, was released in 1983. The title track became a worldwide hit that topped the charts in various countries, including the U.S. The duo went on to release a string of hit singles and albums before they split up in 1990. The duo won an MTV Video Music Award for Best New Artist in 1984, the Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal in 1987, the Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music in 1999, and in 2005 were inducted into the UK Music Hall of Fame. The Eurythmics have sold an estimated 75 million records worldwide. In 2017, the group was nominated for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and were nominated again in 2018. Unfortunately, Eurythmics have not yet been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but uh, they're eligible. They've been nominated twice, so hopefully they'll be nominated again and will be inducted. Um, as I just mentioned, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This uh, is the biggest uh, song of their career. It has been 
famously covered by Marilyn Manson. It is just a really fantastic song. But for this playlist, I really wanted to feature a different Eurythmic song. Here Comes the Rain Again is really one of my favorite songs. Definitely one of my favorite songs of theirs. It's the song I always think about when it rains here in LA because it never rains here. It rains like once a year. You know, in the winter we'll get like, you know, one or two rainstorms or like a week of rain, which is really, really nice. And it's just every single time it rains, I think of this Eurythmic song, uh, obviously because of the song title, but it's such a great song. It's a song that has stuck with me ever since I first heard it, like way back in the 80s. So definitely wanted to uh, feature the Eurythmics and wanted to showcase a different song other than their biggest hit. Uh, yeah. So track three is The Beat Goes On by Sonny and Cher. Uh, The Beat Goes On was a Billboard Hot 100 Top 10 hit song written and composed by Sonny Bono and recorded by Sonny and Cher. It was issued as a single and appeared on their 1967 album In Case You're In Love. It entered the Billboard Hot 100 chart on January 14th, 1967, peaking at number six. Sonny and Cher performed the song many times on their hit 1970s 1970s television variety shows, as well as in their live concerts. The song was sung, the song was sung at Sonny Bono's funeral, and the phrase, and the beat goes on, appears on his tombstone. Sonny and Cher were an American pop duo of entertainers made up of then-husband and wife Sonny Bono and Cher in the 1960s and 1970s. The group started their career in the mid-1960s as R&B backing singers for record producer Phil Spector, which I did not know. The pair first achieved fame with two hit songs in 1965, Baby Don't Go and I Got You Babe, which is their biggest song. Uh, Signing with Atlantic Records, they released three studio albums in the late 1960s, as well as the soundtrack recordings for two unsuccessful movies, Good Times and Chastity. And Chastity would end up being the name of their one of their children. In the 1970s, they also positioned themselves as media personalities with two top 10 TV shows in the U.S., The Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour and The Sonny and Cher Show. The couple's career as a duo ended in 1975 following their divorce. In the decade they spent together, Sonny and Cher were nominated for two Grammy Awards and sold over 40 million records worldwide. Rolling Stone ranked them as number 18 on its list of the 20 greatest duos of all time. Performing under her first name, Cher went on to to a highly successful career as a solo singer and actress, while Sonny Bono was eventually elected to Congress as a Republican in the United States in the U.S. represent in the U.S. House of Representatives from California. The two performers were inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1998, following Sonny's death in a skiing accident. Um, Sonny and Cher, iconic duo. Uh, I grew up with them, but not so much. Like in reruns, I do have vague memories of like the Sonny and Cher show. Uh, uh, that my parents watched. Um, and at the time, I remember being so charmed by Cher's long hair and Sonny's bushy mustache. Um, through the 80s, uh, obviously Cher became this massive, massive solo star. And then Sonny Bono would show up on like the Golden Girls and stuff like that. So he was, you know, even charming then. 
then he went into politics and became a Republican. And I was just like, ugh. but, it, you know, back then I wasn't like super like, you know, Republicans suck. I mean, Republicans do suck and they always have. But um, I remember thinking, oh, Sonny, that's so disappointing. And I was genuinely bummed when he passed away. He was in a skiing accident and he hit his head. And as as I remember it or understand it, he either didn't go to the hospital or they didn't think that the, the injury was severe. And I think he like passed away in his sleep because he had like a brain hemorrhage that they didn't know about. So that was very, very tragic. Um, but, you know, when Sonny and Cher were uh, at the top of their game, they were like superstars. Um, I did not know that they were backup singers for record producer Phil Spector um, and they sang backup on like a lot of the songs by the Ronettes, which is fantastic. Like that is so cool. Um, I must admit, I'm not the biggest Cher fan. I like obviously some of her songs, but like there are Cher fans who just are like, obsessed with her. Um, and I've been meaning to get into like her, her early solo work to try and get an understanding of her music. But, um, for our purposes today, talking about Sunny and Cher, I, again, decided to not use I Got You, Babe, for this playlist because it's their most famous song. But uh, The Beat Goes On is another one of their big hits, one of my favorites, and is a song that Britney Spears covered on her debut album. So I have a, a, a lot of love for that song. Uh, track four is Digital Love by Daft Punk. Uh, Digital Love is a song by French electronic music duo Daft Punk. It was released as the third single from the album Discovery on June 11th, 2001, and reached number 33 in France, number 28 in Italy, and number 14 in the United Kingdom. As part of the album, the song is featured in the film Interstellar 5555, The Story of Secret Star System, which is an animated film that Daft Punk put together for this album, I believe. And Daft Punk are a French electronic music duo formed in Paris in 1993 by Guy Manuel de Home Cristo and Thomas Bangalater. Bangalater. Bangalatier? Bangalater. They achieved popularity in the late 1990s as part of the French house movement. They also had success in the years following, combining elements of house music with funk, techno, disco, rock, and synth pop. They've worn ornate helmets and gloves to assume robot personas in most public appearances since 1999 and rarely grant interviews or appear on television. In 2013, Daft Punk left Virgin for Columbia Records and released their fourth album, Random Access Memories, to acclaim. Lead single, Get Lucky, reached the the top 10 in the charts of 32 countries. Random Access Memories won five Grammy Awards in 2014, including Album of the Year and Record of the Year for Get Lucky. In 2016, Daft Punk gained their first number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with the song Starboy, a collaboration with The Weeknd. Rolling Stone ranked them number 12 on its list of the 20 greatest duos of all time. Daft Punk fucking fantastic. Uh, When they came onto the scene, I was just getting into like electronic music and I thought like they were really cool, like DJs. The helmet thing is really, really genius. They're not the only ones that do it. Uh, As I'm thinking, like Dead Mouse is like another big uh, DJ who wears like this big mouse helmet. But Daft Punk 
did it so cool with like their shiny helmets with the lights and um it's just a really cool it's a gimmick i'll call it it was a really cool gimmick that really made them uh stand out but it's really their music that has transcended all of those you know that showiness and stuff so i love daft punk they're a group that consistently release music and i always know i'm gonna love whatever they put out they just have such a great uh they have such a great taste level they're very their music is very interesting and they do very interesting things with uh their sound like they have a very unique sound when when they make music so one of my favorites uh great duo and that's why i'm talking about them today track five is they long to be close to you by the carpenters uh, a song written by Burt Bacharach and Hall David. Uh, the most well-known version recorded by American duo The Carpenters for their second studio album, Close to You, in 1970, and produced by Jack Doherty. Uh, it was released on May 14, 1970. The single topped both the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and Adult Contemporary Charts. It also reached the top of the Canadian and Australian charts and peaked at number six on the charts of both the UK and Ireland. The record was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, in August 1970. The Carpenters were an American vocal and instrumental duo consisting of siblings Karen and Richard Carpenter. They produced a distinct soft musical style combining Karen's contralto vocals with Richard's harmonizing, arranging and composition skills. During their 14-year career, the Carpenters recorded 10 albums along with numerous singles and several television specials. Their career together ended in 1983 when Karen died from heart failure brought on by complications of anorexia. Extensive news coverage surrounding these circumstances increased public awareness of eating disorders. Though the Carpenters were criticized for their clean-cut and wholesome conservative image in the 1970s, their music has been reevaluated, attracting critical acclaim and continued commercial success. Uh, honestly, I first learned what eating disorders were because of the death of Karen Carpenter, um, which is just a morbid thing to say and not even really relevant to this discussion, but... Um, it's very, very tragic that that's the way she died. But if anything good can come from the loss of Karen Carpenter is that her death really sh shined a light on eating disorders in general and we became more aware of them and how to help people. But getting back to the music, uh, this song, I really think when I, th when I think about this song... The, the animated series The Simpsons does a really good job of not only creating their own music, but they incorporate really iconic songs. And they used this song in one of their episodes. And I swear, now when I think about the song, I think about The Simpsons and not necessarily The Carpenters, which is kind of weird. But um, it really speaks to how powerful music can be and how fantastic this song is, that it just lives on and on and on for generations um, the Carpenters music in general is not really my type of music. Uh, as you know, I'm not super amped on slower music and this duo really made a name for themselves recording slower songs and more ballady songs. Um, but, uh, Close to You is such a beautiful song and I think it's the only 
Carpenter's record I own on vinyl. Uh, yeah, but um, great song from an iconic American duo, track five on this playlist. Track six is So Fresh, So Clean by Outkast. The third and final single released from Outkast's fourth studio album, Stankonia. The song was a moderate success, reaching number 30 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The single was certified platinum by the Recording Industry of, of America in October 2020. Outkast were an American hip-hop duo formed in 1992 in East Point, Georgia, consisting of Atlanta-based Atlanta rappers Andre 3000 Benjamin, formerly known as just Dre, and Antoine Big Boy Patton. Widely recognized for their intricate lyricism, memorable melodies, and positive messages, Outkast is often regarded as one of the greatest and most influential hip-hop duos of all time. The duo achieved both critical acclaim and commercial success from the mid-1990s to the early 2000s, helping to popularize Southern hip-hop while experimenting with diverse genres such as funk, psychedelic, psychedelia, jazz, and techno. The duo is one of the most successful hip-hop groups of all time, having received six Grammy Awards. Rolling Stone ranked them number seven on its list of the 20 greatest duos of all time. Between six studio albums and a greatest hits release, Outkast has sold over 25 million records. Love Outkast. Uh, when they released um, this record, uh, when they released Hey Ya, which is my favorite of their songs, I was huge, huge fan. Um, Miss Jackson, I mean, they have such great songs and pop songs that really transcended. Um, I probably never would have learned about Outkast if it wasn't for like their pop crossover songs like this one so um definitely made me a fan um i previously featured hey ya on a playlist in an earlier episode uh so but every time i think of outcast i think of hey ya and for sure would have selected that but i already used it in as i mentioned in a previous podcast episode so my second favorite song so fresh so clean track six on this playlist Track seven is In the Cold, Cold Night by The White Stripes, a song from the fourth studio album by The White Stripes, uh, their album Elephant. It was released on April 1st, 2003. The album garnered critical acclaim and commercial success, earning a nomination for Album of the Year and a win for Best Alternative Music Album at the 46th Grammy Awards in 2004. Peaking at number six in the U.S., on the U.S. Billboard charts and topping the U.K. album charts. In later years, the album has often been cited as the White Stripes' best work and one of the best albums of the 2000s. That's their album, Elephant, where this album, is, where this song is featured. Uh, and this is one of the rare songs that Meg White sings lead vocals. Overwhelmingly in the White Stripes, Jack White does the singing, but, but Meg sings on just a few songs. The White Stripes where an American rock duo formed in Detroit, Michigan in 1997, which I did not know. I thought they were older. I thought they were formed earlier in the 90s. So this is a little bit surprising news to me. The group consisted of Jack White, songwriter, vocals, guitar, piano, and mandolin, and his one-time wife, Meg White, drums and vocals, married from 1996 to 2000. After releasing several singles and three albums within the Detroit music scene, the White Stripes rose to prominence in 2002 as part of the garage rock revival scene. 
Their successful and critically acclaimed albums, White Blood Cells and Elephant, drew attention from a wide variety of media outlets in the United States and the United Kingdom. The single Seven Nation Army, which used a guitar and an octave pedal to create the iconic opening riff, became one of their most recognizable songs. The band recorded two more albums, Get Behind Me Satan, in 2005 and Icky Thump in in 2007, and dissolved in 2011 after a lengthy hiatus from performing and recording. From the beginning, they established certain motifs, publicly pretending to be brother and sister, outfitting their production in only black, red, and white, and heavily using the number three. White has explained that they used these colors to distract from the fact that they were young white musicians playing black music, which is very interesting. They were also noted for their lack of a bass player and their general refusal to be interviewed separately. Although Jack was the lead vocalist, Meg did sing lead vocals on four of the band's songs. This song, In the Cold Cold Night, from Elephant, Passive Manipulation, from Get Behind Me Satan, Who's a, Who's a Baby, Who's a Big Baby, uh, released on the Blue Orchid single, and St. Andrew, This Battle is in the Air, from Icky Thump. She also accompanied Jack on the songs Your Southern Can Is Mine from their debut album Distill, Hotel Yorba and This Protector from their album White Blood Cells, on You Don't Know What Love Is, You Just Do As You're Told, and Rag and Bone from their album Icky Thump. Rated X and also... Rated X and also sang alongside Jack and Holly Golightly on the song It's True That We Love One Another from the album Elephant. So... The point is that uh, Meg White uh, is predominantly just the drummer for the White Stripes, and Jack White would do everything else, but she did sing lead on a few songs and uh, co-lead on others. Uh, White Stripes, one of the greatest uh, Detroit bands to come of this generation, of the last generation of the 2000s, I proudly, proudly name them whenever I'm talking about, like, the greatest artists to come from Detroit, like, from Motown, including, and then Madonna, and then Eminem, and the White Stripes are definitely on that list. Uh, In the Cold, Cold Night, one of my favorite White Stripes songs, and I knew I was going to definitely feature the White Stripes uh, on this playlist and in this episode, and I definitely wanted to select one of the Meg songs because not a lot of people know about them or those songs don't usually get talked about. So I love my girl Meg and I love the White Stripes and I love uh, the song In the Cold Cold Night, number seven on this track list. Uh, Track eight is Satan is Real by the Lovin' Brothers. This is a song from from the gospel album of the same name by American country music duo the Lovin' Brothers released in 1959. The Lovin' Brothers were an American musical duo composed of brothers Ira and Charlie Lovin. Uh, the brothers are cousins to John D. Louder Milk, a uh, Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame member. The brothers wrote and performed secular country music as well as fire and brimstone gospel music, which is my favorite kind of gospel music. Ira played virtuoso mandolin and generally sang lead vocal in the tenor range while Charlie played rhythm guitar and offered supporting vocals in a lower pitch. They helped popularize the vocal technique of close harmony in country and country rock. 
After becoming regulars at the Grand Ole Opry and scoring a string of hit singles in the late 1950s and early 60s, the Lovin' Brothers broke up in 1963 due in large part to Charlie growing tired of Ira's addictions and reckless behavior. Ira died in a traffic accident in 1965. They were inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2001, and Charlie died of cancer in 2011. Rolling Stone ranked the Lovin' Brothers number four on its list of the 20 greatest duos of all time. The Lovin' Brothers. Like, nobody knows who they are. Well, I shouldn't say nobody knows who they are, because clearly people know who they are. But of, of, like, my music sphere and people that I know and music that I like, I would have never, ever learned about the Lovin' Brothers were it not for a trip to Amoeba Records here in in Los Angeles, walking down one of their many aisles of of vinyl records, and the cover art for uh, this album, Satan is Real, just like popped out at me. It's these two country guys standing like in hell or something with like fire all around them. And I'm like, what is this amazing looking record? And I picked it up and I saw that it was like a gospel record, and I'm like, what is this? I bought it sight unseen. I just was like, I had to buy it. Brought it home, listened to it, and I'm like, this is fantastic. They really had a, a uh, like a penchant for like writing fantastically catchy country rock pop, and that it was sold as like gospel music because they really were preaching, which is hilarious. When you listen to the song, please listen to this playlist, please listen to the song. You know, Satan is real. It's so weird that they're 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 preaching about like their love of God and Christianity, but by warning you because Satan is real with this catchy song, I don't know whether they um uh spoke to the hearts of many Christians with the song like this, but they spoke to the heart of this pagan, so good on you, loving brothers. Um this album is really, really fun. This song is like my favorite from the album. And uh, yeah, when I was thinking about who are my favorite duos, I'm like, yeah, man, the Lovin' Brothers got to put them on this playlist. So there you go. Uh, track nine is Waterfall by Wendy and Lisa. A song from the self-titled 1987 debut album by Wendy and Lisa, formerly of Prince's band The Revolution. Waterfall was written by Wendy, Lisa, and Bobby Z, uh, who is also from The Revolution. Uh, he also co-produced the album with the duo. Wendy and Lisa, who were pr- briefly known as Girl Bros, are at a music duo consisting of Wendy Melvoin and Lisa Coleman. They began working with Prince in the early 1980s and were part of his band, The Revolution, before branching out on their own and releasing their debut album in 1987. In recent years, they have turned their attention to writing music for film and television and and have won an Emmy Award. They've released five full-length albums, the most recent being White Flags of Winter Chimneys, released in December 2008. They've also done session work and or written songs with Seal, Katie Lang, Joni Mitchell, Michelle and Degancello, Pearl Jam, Terrence Trent Darby, Lisa Germano, Lisa Marie Presley, Liz Fair, Michael Penn, Grace Jones, Tricky, The Three O'Clock, Uh-Huh Her, Cheryl Crow, Victoria Williams, 
Rob Williams, Gwen Stefani, Sky Edwards, Screedy Politti, Narina Pallet, OK Go, Madonna, The Like, Nina Gordon, F Deluxe, The Family, Doyle Bramhall II, Nika Costa, Andre Simone, Kate Earl, Eric Clapton, Betty Levette, Il DeLang, Mac Miller, Walk the Moon, and more. Hello? Are you, did you hear that list of people? Holy shit. Uh, they did vocals on the soundtrack for the album Toys, which was their first scoring work. And that was a movie that starred Robin Williams. And Tori Amos has a song on that uh, soundtrack as well, which is a nice little connection there. Uh, they did scoring work for the movie Dangerous Minds. They've since raised their profile considerably in that arena, scoring popular TV shows, Crossing Jordan, Heroes, and more recently, Touch, which I believe starred Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, All of them created and produced by Tim Kring and Nurse Jackie for Showtime. In 2004, the duo reached a rapprochement with Prince and contributed to several tracks on his Planet Earth album, Lion of Judah, and reportedly The One You Want to See, Resolution, Somewhere Here on Earth, and possibly the title track Planet Earth. So just this is way too much to get into, but long story short, obviously Wendy and Lisa first worked with Prince and were instrumental in Prince's success with the revolution. Prince is a genius and he was smart enough to realize that he had fucking fantastic people in his band. Wendy and Lisa were chief among them. After he decided to just go for a new sound, he fired the revolution, including Wendy and Lisa. It was just, in my opinion, they were just too tied to that sound and he wanted to do something new and new sound meant new uh, band members. And unfortunately, that meant no more Wendy and Lisa, which I'm sure was very, very difficult for them. But it was very, very nice that they were able to reconnect with him later in his career and work with him again on his album Planet Earth. Um, so yeah, uh, this song, I'm not too familiar with Wendy and Lisa's solo music, to be honest. Uh, but I do remember when uh, their album came out uh, in 1987. And it was very different from, you know, Prince and the Revolution. And to be very honest, I kind of lost, you know, touch with them from that point on. But forever, forever, forever worship them and their work with Prince and the Revolution. And I just recently learned that, I mean, I I was aware of the fact that they were scoring TV shows and films uh, but I was not aware they had worked that they had worked with so many fantastic fucking artists that I love: Tricky, Liz Fair, Pearl Jam, Cheryl Crow, Gwen Stefani, OK Go, Madonna. Like what? Like I had no idea. So Wendy and Lisa, truly, 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 among the greatest musicians alive today. Um. The uh, last Wendy and Lisa story I have is uh, the the cover tribute band Princess, uh, which is led by Maya Rudolph, the comedian Maya Rudolph, uh, and her partner Gretchen. Oh, I forget her last name. Please don't hate me, Gretchen, but I do love you, Princess. Um, they are the greatest Prince tribute band of all time. I say this all the time. Seeing Princess in concert is 
almost as good as seeing Prince. They just put so much love and um, heart and soul into their performance. It's funny, but it's also heartfelt. They love Prince very, very much. So I see Princess every chance I get. I've seen them a few times. I love them so much. And the last time that I saw them, uh, Princess brought out Wendy and Lisa and uh, Wendy's twin sister, Susanna, who was engaged to Prince back in the day, uh, to perform Purple Rain live in concert. So I got to see Wendy and Lisa perform Purple Rain with Princess in tribute of Prince after he passed away. And it was one of the most special moments of my life. I'm thinking about it now and I'm getting chills. Um, Wendy and Lisa, just iconic legends who we are just so, so fortunate to have with us. And uh, one of the greatest duos and definitely worthy of inclusion on this playlist and in this discussion. So Man, Wendy and Lisa, they had to be on this playlist. Uh, track 10 is Proud Mary by Ike and Tina Turner. Uh, Proud Mary is a rock and roll song written by John Fogarty and first recorded by his band Credence Clearwater Revival in 1969. This cover version by Ike and Tina Turner, released two years later in 1971, reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100 and won a Grammy Award. Ike and Tina Turner were an American music duo formed in 1960 consisting of the husband of the then husband and wife team Ike Turner and Tina Turner. They perform live as uh Ike and Tina Turner as the Ike and Tina Turner Review supported by Ike and Tina Ike Turner's band The Kings of Rhythm and back, backing vocalists called the Ikeettes. The Ike and Tina Turner Review was regarded as one of the most potent live acts on the R&B circuit. The duo began performing together in 1957 and married in 1962. The Ike and Tina Turner Review disbanded in 1976 after the Turners separated. Their divorce was finalized in 1978. Ike and Tina Turner were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1991. They have two singles inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, River Deep, Mountain High, and this song, Proud Mary. Rolling Stone ranked them number two on its list of the 20 greatest duos of all time. In her 1986 autobiography, I, Tina, My Life Story, she revealed that Ike had abused her throughout their marriage. Um, I really went back and forth about uh, including uh, this song on this playlist because Ike Turner is a flaming piece of shit. He uh, was an evil, evil, evil man who just almost destroyed Tina Turner. Uh, her autobiography is fantastic. The film based on her life story, What's Love Got to Do With It, is uh, something that I think about on occasion. That movie really changed me because just seeing her life told from her perspective and the abuse that she suffered was very impactful for me. Tina Turner, man, she's just... love her. So I was very hesitant to include this song on the playlist because Ike Turner deserves no accolades whatsoever. But to take away from Tina Turner's achievements uh, would, I don't know. I I still don't know how I feel about it. But um, track 10 is Proud Mary uh, with the amazing vocals of Tina Turner. And it is just uh, really fantastic song 
and I love Tina Turner, and I'm going to leave it at that. Track 11 is All I Have to Do is Dream by the Everly Brothers, a song made famous by the Everly Brothers, written by Bordlow Bryant of the husband and wife song reading team, Felice and Bordlow Bryant, and published in 1958. The song is ranked number 141 on Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. The best-known version was recorded by the Everly Brothers at RCA Studio Nashville and released as a single in April 1958. It had been recorded by the Everly Brothers live in just two takes on March 6, 1958, and features Chet Aikens on guitar. It was the only single ever to be number one on all of the Billboard singles charts simultaneously on June 2nd, 1958. Wow. It first reached number one on the most played by jockeys and top 100 charts on May 19th, 1958 and remained there for five and three weeks, respectively. With the August 1958 introduction of the Billboard Hot 100 chart, the song ended the year at number two. This song was around when the when the Billboard chart was created, which is crazy. Um, All I Have to Do is Dream also hit number one on the R&B chart, as well as becoming the Everly Brothers' third chart topper on the country chart. The Everly Brothers briefly returned to the Hot 100 in 1961 with this song. I mean, the song just won't stay off the charts. The Everly Brothers were an American country-influenced rock and roll duo known for steel string acoustic guitar playing and close harmony singing, consisting of Isaac Don, Isaac Donald Don Everly and Philip Phil Jason Everly. The duo raised in a musical family, first appearing on a radio singing along, first appearing on radio singing along with their father Ike Everly and mother Margaret Everly as the Everly family in the 1940s. When the brothers were still in high school, they gained the attention of prominent Nashville musicians like Chet Atkins, who began to groom them for national national attention. They began writing and recording their own music in 1956, and their first hit song came in 1957 with Bye Bye Love, written by Felice and Bordlow Bryant, who also wrote the song, Uh, All I Have to Do is Dream. Rolling Stone ranked the Everly Brothers number one on its list of the 20 greatest duos of all time. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of the inaugural class in 1986 and into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2001. Don was inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in 2019, earning the organization's first iconic riff award for its distinctive rhythm guitar intro into the Everly's massive 1957 hit, Wake Up Little Susie. The Everly Brothers, man. Like, these guys are legends. Oldies, not really my thing. And I'm very well aware of most of their songs. Like, they're just too big to not. And um, I've recently been trying to get into, like, 50s music. I have uh, an episode coming up that I'm working on about the 1950s. And uh, so the Everly Brothers are kind of newish on my radar and me listening to like their collection of music and this is one of my favorite songs and because they're such an iconic duo so iconic that Rolling Stone names them as the number one duo of all time they had to be on this playlist and I selected this song uh because it's just like such such a great song it's 
a beautiful song, a little slower than I than I like, but it's so good that that doesn't even bother me. So yeah, these guys, track 11 on this playlist. Track 12 is Bound for the Floor by Local H. Uh, the song by the American alternative rock duo Local H released as the first single from their 1996 album As Good As Dead. It is widely considered to be the band's most popular single, reaching number five on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart and number 10 on the Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. Local H is an American rock band originally formed by guitarist and vocalist Scott Lucas, bassist Matt Garcia, drummer Joe Daniels, and lead guitarist John Sparkman in Zion, Illinois in 1990. So Local H was originally a group. The members all met in high school in 1987 and founded Local H three years later. They are known for their unorthodox two-piece setup. After Sparkman's departure in 1991 and Garcia's departure in 1993, Local H signed their first record contract with with Island Records in 1994 as a duo, where they would go on to release three albums. According to the band's Twitter account, in 2015, its name comes from combining two R.E.M. songs, Oddfellows Local 151 and Swan Song and Swan Swan H. Local H. When I think about duos, um, I think about hollow notes, I think about Eurythmics, and I think about Local H. I remember when Bound for the Floor came out on MTV, and it was just a music video of two guys. One guy on a guitar, one guy pounding on the, the drums, and I'm like, oh my god, like, how cool is this song? And it's just two guys. Then the White Stripes would come along and do it, and I became more aware of, like, this whole rock and roll thing of, like, duos, and I thought it was so, so cool. Um, Local H, to be honest, I don't know any of their other music. I did buy this record. I remember having the CD, uh, but Bound for the Floor was the only song that ever really resonated with me, that I ever really loved, and that I still think about to this day. So that's why I included it on this playlist uh, at number 12. Uh, track 13 is Surf City by Jan and Dean, a song written by Brian Wilson and Jan Barry about a fictitious surf spot where there are two girls for every boy. It was first recorded and made popular by the American duo Jan and Dean in 1963, and their single became the first surf song to become a national number one hit. In 1991, after moving to Huntington Beach, California, Dean Torrance helped convince elected officials that the town would officially nicknamed Surf City USA. In 2006, the official trademark of Surf City USA was granted to Huntington Beach after several back and forth lawsuits between Huntington Beach and Santa Cruz, California. That's so funny. As of 2009, more than 65 businesses in the city included Surf City as part of their name. Uh, Jan and Dean! We're an American rock duo consisting of William Jan Barry and Dean Ormsby Torrance. In the early 1960s, they were pioneers of the California sound and vocal surf music styles popularized by the Beach Boys. Jan and Dean were inducted into the Hollywood Rock of Rock Walk of Fame on April 12, 1996, exactly 30 years after Jan Barry had his near-fatal car accident. Jan and Dean's career together ended with Jan Barry's death on March 26, 2004, after he suffered a seizure eight days before his 63rd birthday, which is so sad. After Barry's death, Torrance began touring occasionally with the Surf City All-Stars. Uh, 
He serves as a spokesman for the city of Huntington Beach, which thanks in part to his efforts is nationally recognized as Surf City USA. Now, I just earlier mentioned that I don't really love oldies, but I love 60s pop music that sounds like the Beach Boys, that sounds like Jan and Dean. The high-pitched vocal, male vocals, um, really catchy, short, two-ish minute songs. Like, I love that. It's not music I grew up with. I don't even know where this kind of surf rock kind of came um, into my, you know, music knowledge. But once I heard it, I was immediately intrigued and I loved it. So I love Jan and Dean. I love the Beach Boys. uh, And I love this song. So, uh, you know, iconic duo and all they did for the city of Huntington Beach, which is hilarious. I have previously run the Surf City Half Marathon and the Surf City Marathon in Huntington Beach. My medals are wooden surfboards, which are so cool. So Surf City has a huge place in my heart. Uh, This song, great, great song. Love Jan and Dean. Love this type of music. Track 13 on this playlist. Track 14, uh, Fading Like a Flower, Every Time You Leave by Roxette, a song by Swedish pop duo Roxette from their third studio album, Joyride, released in 1991. Written by Per Gessel and produced by Clarence Offwerman, the song was released as the second single from Joyride on April 17th, 1991 by EMI. It became the duo's fifth consecutive top 10 hit in the United States, peaking at position number two on the Billboard Hot 100. The song was also a top 10 hit in over 13 countries. Roxette were a Swedish pop rock duo consisting of Marie Fredriksson, vocals and keyboards, and Per Gessel, vocals and guitar. Formed in 1986, the duo became an international act in the late 1980s when they released their breakthrough second album, Look Sharp. Their third album, Joyride, which was released in 1991, became just as successful as its predecessor. Roxette went on to achieve 19 UK Top 40 hits and several US Hot 100 hits, including four US number ones with The Look, Listen to Your Heart, It Must Have Been Love, featured on the soundtrack of Pretty Woman, and Joyride. Their other hits include Dress for Success, Dangerous, and Fading Like a Flower. They've sold an estimated 75 million records worldwide with their 10 with over 10 million in certified units from Germany, the US, and the UK, achieving gold and platinum certifications for Joyride and Look Sharp in all three regions. They are Sweden's they are Sweden's second best selling music act after ABBA. Wow. Marie Fredriksson died on December 9th, 2019 at the age of 61 following a long battle with a brain with a brain tumor, which is so 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 sad. An album of previously unreleased outtakes, "Bag of Tricks," was issued in December 2020, which I just learned about this week. I had no idea that Roxette released this uh, "Bag of Tricks" collection. It's like four collections of unreleased stuff. It's just such such a gift for Roxette fans. So that was a huge huge thing, and I learned about it by researching for this episode. I love Roxette. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Sweden is is responsible for the greatest pop music ever, period. Whatever they have in the water there, 
I hope they never run out of it because the greatest pop music comes from Sweden and Roxette being the second best selling music act after ABBA is no surprise to me because everything that they released here in the United States was just like hit, 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 hit. I was a huge fan of theirs in the early 90s. I did not get to see them in concert in their heyday, but, um, whew, you know, after, uh, after Marie had, uh, recovered a bit from her, uh, her, I think it was cancer, which has caused the brain tumor, uh, she and Per went on tour as Roxette and I saw them here in Los Angeles and it was such an honor to see Roxette live in concert because I'd been such a fan of theirs for so long. And Marie had beat cancer. And I remember she was so frail and so small, but her voice was still so big. And she sang with so much heart. And I'm starting to tear up thinking about this because that show was so special because I got the chance to see Roxette live in concert and I had loved them for so long. And to see Marie thriving was such a joy. It was really, really heartbreaking for me and for every Roxette music fan around the world when Marie lost her battle with cancer, with that brain tumor. <sighs> but um, there was no way I was going to talk about my favorite duos and my favorite songs from duos and not mention Roxette because they were just the greatest. And I know that uh, Per Gessel is carrying on with um, honoring uh, Marie and her memory and the work that they did as Roxette which is why I think he really wanted to release this collection of unreleased outtakes, Bag of Tricks, which is available on streaming. So if you're a Roxette fan and you don't know this, go check check it out. I listened to like the first two volumes the other night and it's just like, oh, so good. It's so, so good. So uh, Marie Fredrickson, I love you wherever you are out there. And Per Gessel, I love you too. I love Roxette. I love this song, Fading Like a Flower, track 14 on this playlist. Track 15 is West End Girls by Pet Shop Boys. Uh, West End Girls, a song by the English synth pop duo Pet Shop Boys, written by Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe. The song was released twice as a single. The song's lyrics are concerned with class and the pressures of inner city life, which were inspired partly by T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland. It was generally well-received by contemporary music critics and has frequently cited as a highlight in the duo's career. The first version of the song was produced by Bobby Orlando and was released on Columbia Records' Bobcat Records imprint in April 1984, becoming a club hit in the United States and some European countries. After the duo signed with EMI, the song was re-recorded with producer Stephen Haig for their first studio album, Please. In October 1985, a new version was released, reaching number one in the United Kingdom and the United States in 1986. 
1987, the song won Best Single at the Brit Awards and Best International Hit at the Ivor Novello Awards. In 2005, 20 years after its release, the song was awarded Song of the Decade between the years 1985 and 1994 by the British Academy of Composers and Songwriters. A critics poll by The Guardian selected West End Girls as the number one of the 100 greatest UK number one singles in 2020. The song was performed by Pet Shop Boys at the 2012 Summer Olympic Closing Games in, uh, in London, the closing ceremony. Pet Shop Boys are an English synth-pop duo formed in London in 1981 and consisting of Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe. Pet Shop Boys have sold more than 100 million records worldwide and were listed as the most successful duo in UK music history in the 1999 edition of the Guinness Book of World Records. Three-time Brit Award winners and six-time Grammy nominees, since 1984 they have achieved 42 30 top 30 sorry they've achieved 42 top 30 singles 22 of them top 10 hits in the UK singles chart including four UK number ones West End Girls also number one on the US Billboard Hot 100 It's a Sin a synth pop version of Always on My Mind and Heart at the 2009 Brit Awards in London Pet Shop Boys received an award for outstanding contribution to music in 2016, Billboard magazine named Pet Shop Boys the number one dance duo group over the 40 years since the chart's inception in 1976. In 2017, the duo received NME's Godlike Genius Award. Pet Shop Boys, legends, 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 and West End Girls just... Oh, God, how can I describe it? It's just like one of those songs that you feel like you've always known, or you feel like it's always been around. Like I realize it just came out in the early 80s. and But for me, it's just always been around. And there's a very special story that goes along with this song. When I was dating my ex, Eric, when I was still living in Detroit, we uh, made a new friend named Megan. And I can't remember. I think when I met her, this song was playing. And she always thought of this song as our song, which I always thought was so sweet. Um, she and I were very close for a long time, definitely during my relationship with, with Eric. And then she dated his brother and all that. But, um, you know, I've since lost touch with her since moving to California. But whenever I uh, listen to this song or I hear it on the radio or whatever, I always think of Megan and her like pointing at me at, at the club and then we like dance together. So this will always be our song and Pet Shop Boys, iconic duo, uh, definitely worth inclusion uh, uh, on this playlist. And West End Girls is track 15 on the playlist. Track 16 is Shout by Tears for Fears, song by English pop rock Grew, uh, duo Tears for Fears released as the second single from their second studio album Songs from the Big Chair in 1985 uh, 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 Roland Orzabal performs lead vocals on the track the single became the group's sixth UK top 40 hit peaking at number four in January 1985 in the US it reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on August 3rd 1985 and remained there for three weeks 
Shout would become one of the most successful songs of 1985, eventually reaching number one in multiple countries. It is regarded as one of the most recognizable songs from the mid-80s. Of the song's meaning, the duo said, quote, A lot of people think that Shout is just another song about primal scream theory, continuing the themes of the first album. It is actually more concerned with political protest. It came out in 1984 when a lot of people were still worried about the aftermath of the Cold War, and it was basically an encouragement to protest. Um, <clears throat> that was Roland Orsville. Kurt Smith said, It concerns protests in as much as it encourages people to not do things without actually questioning them. People act without thinking because that's just the way things go in society. So it's a general song about the way the public accepts any old grief from which is thrown at them. Tears for Fears <clears throat> are an English pop group formed uh, in Bath, England in 1981 by Roland Orsbull and Kurt Smith. Founded after the dissolution of their first band, the mod-influenced Graduate, Tears for Fears were initially associated with the new wave synth synthesizer bands of the early 1980s. Later, the band branched out into more mainstream pop and attained international chart success. Tears for Fears were part of the MTV-driven second British invasion of the U.S. After the release of their platinum-selling third album, The Seeds of Love, in 1989, Smith and Orzabal had an acrimonious split in 1991. Orzabal retained the Tears for Fears name as a solo project, releasing the albums Elemental in 1993 and Rowell and the Kings of Spain in 1995. Orzabal and Smith reconciled in 2000 and released an album of new material, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, in 2004. The duo have toured consistently since then. They will reportedly release a new album in 2021. Uh, the, this article is right. Shout is one of the most recognizable songs from the mid-80s. Uh, I very distinctly remember the music video. Uh, the song was just everywhere. Um... Yeah, it was a pop hit and it was a hit song, but the it wasn't like a feel-good song. It wasn't like a party song. It was kind of like a serious song, but everybody still liked it, which I always thought was so strange. Um, Tears for Fears have released so many uh, iconic songs. Um, and for sure, for me, this is their most iconic, their most recognizable, and their most well-known and um, I just really like the song, so that's why I selected it for inclusion on this playlist. Track 17 is Jump by Criss Cross. The hit debut single by American hip-hop duo Criss Cross. It was released on February 6th, 1992 as a single from their debut studio album, Totally Crossed Out. It achieved international success, topping charts in Switzerland, Australia, and the United States. Additionally, it was the third best-selling song in the United States in 1992 with sales of over 2 million physical copies that year. Jump was written and produced by Jermaine Dupree. Chris Mac Daddy Kelly and Chris Daddy Mac Smith were only 12 and 13 years old when they recorded the song. The song samples I Want You Back by the Jackson 5, Funky Worm by Ohio Players, Impeach the President by the Honey Drippers, Midnight Theme by Manziel, Escapism by James Brown, Saturday Night by Schoolie D, and a replay of OPP by Naughty by Nature. 
At the beginning of their song, they dissed another group, another bad creation, when Chris MacDaddy Kelly said, don't try to compare us to another bad little fad. Don't try to compare us to another bad little fad. That was my really bad attempt at rapping that line. Uh, The song's original introduction contained a sample of another bad creation song, Playground, which was followed by a scratching sound giving the effect of their record being taken off to play Jump. That was soon removed to copyright infringement, which makes sense. (laughs) Jump was very successful in the charts all over the world. It remains the duo's biggest hit to date. The song went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and kept Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, En Vogue's My Lovin', You're Never Gonna Get It, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Under the Bridge from the top spot on the Hot 100. Wow. All three of those songs peaked at number two because Criss Cross's Jump kept them at bay at number one. Love it. That is so, so, so cool. And I remember... Back back in the day, I was very much paying attention to the music charts because I was a huge Paula Abdul fan, which I'll get to when I talk about Paula Abdul in her own ep- in her own episode. But I was really paying attention to. The- I subscribed to Billboard magazine, and I watched um, like the Casey Kasem top forty and all of that. So I was really paying attention to the charts, and I definitely remember when the song was number one, and it just kept all of these massive, massive songs at number two, which is just awesome. Uh, Jump was the fastest selling single in 15 years and stayed atop the Hot 100 for eight weeks. Damn. At the time of its eight week run, it was the longest running number one since the police's Every Breath You Take spent eight weeks at number one in the summer of 1983. I mean, the song was massive. Criss Cross was an American hip hop duo that consisted of Chris Mac Daddy Kelly and Chris Daddy Mac Smith. Criss Cross were the youngest hip-hop duo to gain success with gold and platinum albums at 12 and 13 years old. They've been referenced on albums or songs of Eminem, Dr. Dre, Tupac, Method Man, and many more. The duo was discovered The duo was discovered by Jermaine Dupri in 1991 and hit worldwide status the following year with, the, with their smash hit debut single, Jump, which topped the Billboard Hot 100 for eight weeks and was certified double platinum as a single. They went on to release three studio albums with their debut album Totally Crossed Out, topping the U.S. Billboard 200, uh, and their following albums The Bomb and Young, Rich, and Dangerous, making it to the top 20. The duo were also noted for their signature fashion style of wearing their clothes backwards, which was genius. Uh, And very sadly, Chris Kelly passed away in 2013. Chris Cross were such a phenomenon. You know, they were young. They wore their clothes backwards. This song was a monster hit. They were just everywhere. Um, You know, I remember being a fan of Vanilla Ice because everybody was a fan of Vanilla Ice. But then when Chris Cross came out, I felt so much better about being a fan of theirs because they were just more representative of what rap music was, what hip hop was, what pop hip hop could be. So I remember being a huge, huge fan. When this song was out, uh, House of Pain also had a song out called Jump Jump Around. And um, they were both massive hit songs. I loved them both. Um, so, yeah, I, I finally, you know, 
I just wanted to showcase Criss Cross because I remember this song. I still love this song. And uh, when you think about duos, you think about that album cover of Criss Cross, the two Chris's standing on the cover with their backwards clothes. Just so genius. Such a pop culture moment. Like, the best. Track 18 is I Want You by Savage Garden, a song by Australian pop duo Savage Garden. It was originally released in Australia in May 1996 as the lead single from the eponymous debut album Savage Garden. The single reached number one in Canada for two weeks and peaked at number four in Australia on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. The single also peaked at number nine in Iceland, random, and at number 11 on the UK singles chart. In November 1998, the single was re-released in the United Kingdom following the success of Truly Madly Deeply and To the Moon and Back. This release peaked at number 12. The song's lyrics refer to the attraction exerted by a person possessing a strong sex appeal. They fascinate the singer and arouse his curiosity, even though he's not sure whether he needs them at all. Singer Darren Hayes describes it as a song about being in love with a male energy when asked if the song had a coded gay message after he came out as gay. Hello, yes, he was gay. He came out after the fact, but then he he said, yes, that song was kind of about me being gay because I was gay, which I love. Yes, Darren Hayes. Savage Garden was an Australian pop duo consisting of Darren Hayes on vocals and Daniel Jones on instruments. Formed in Logan City, Queensland in 1994, the duo achieved international success in the late 1990s and early 2000s with the number one hit singles, I Want You, To the Moon and Back, Truly Madly Deeply, why can't I say deeply? Truly Madly Deeply, The Animal Song, and I Knew I Loved You. The band's two studio albums, Savage Garden and Affirmation, reached number one in Australia and peaked in the top 10 in both the United Kingdom and the United States. These albums sold 23 million albums worldwide. The group won a record number of 10 uh, Ira Music Awards in 1997 for their debut album and its related singles. They disbanded in the end of 2001, and Hayes continued as a solo artist. Savage Garden! Great, great duo. I Want You, great, great song. But I have to shout out my boy Darren Hayes. Darren Hayes, back in the day, was a huge fan of my blog, Pink is the New Blog. It's so funny. Like, when I was starting to get more popular, I hadn't moved to LA yet, I don't think. He emailed me, and he was just like, I love your site, it's so funny. And I'm like, oh my god, this is Darren Hayes. Like, it was so... It was very weird for me at the time to hear from, like, a musician, from, like, a celebrity, of him being a fan of me, and... He was such a great early supporter. I remember he did everything he could to like, you know, with advertising on the site and just giving his general feedback. Like Darren Hayes, man, such a great guy. And um, I always loved him uh, in Savage Garden, but I really loved his solo stuff too. Um, And the fact that he was so cool to me, I never forgot that. And uh, so for sure, when I was thinking about my favorite duos, he um, and Savage Garden and his uh, partner, Daniel Jones, like they for sure came to mind. And that's why they're here in this playlist. Darren Hayes, if you're out there, you probably aren't out there listening right now. But if you are, I love you, man. And I love uh, everything you've ever done for me and Pink is a new blog. And 
Yeah, love you. All right, track 19, Everything She Wants by Wham! Song by British pop duo Wham! Originally released as a single in 1984 on Epic Records. The double A-side with Last Christmas! Upon release, Last Christmas took the majority of the attention and airplay as it was appropriately appropriate in early December as Christmas approached. However, the presence of an equally billed flip side meant that radio stations had something else to play once Last Christmas had lost its topicality. So when this song was released, it was a double A side, Last Christmas, one of the greatest Christmas songs ever. Uh, which is featured on my uh, Christmas episode, which you may remember a few weeks ago. And the other A-side was Everything She Wants, this song. It was written and produced by George Michael, one half of the duo, becoming the third consecutive million-selling number one hit in the United States. Although Michael bemoaned much of Wham's material as as he began his solo career, Everything She Wants remained a song of which he was proud, and he continued to perform it in his shows. Furthermore, Michael remarked in an interview that Everything She Wants was his favorite Wham! song. I think it's mine too, honestly. Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go gets a lot of um, love, and I love it as well. But I think I've always preferred this song, Everything She Wants, over Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Wham! were a pop duo consisting of George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, formed in Bushley in 1981. They became one of the most commercially successful pop acts of the 1980s, selling more than 30 million certified records worldwide from 1982 to 1986. In 1986, Wham! broke up. Michael was keen to create music targeted at a more sophisticated adult market rather than the duo's primarily teenage audience. Before going their separate ways, a farewell, a farewell single, The Edge of Heaven, and a greatest hits album titled The Final would be forthcoming, along with a farewell concert entitled The Final. Michael said, quote, I think it should be the most amicable split in pop history. At London's Wembley Stadium on, sat- on Saturday, June 28, 1986, Wham! bad goodbye to their fans and each other with an emotional embrace at the end of its final concert. 72,000 people attended the eight-hour event, which included support artists, on a scorching hot day in London. This London duo had been together for five years, selling over 28 million records and 15 million singles. Jesus. Michael died from heart and liver disease at his home in Goring-on-Thames, Oxfordshire, on, De- on Christmas Day 2016. He was 53 years old. So rest in peace, George Michael. You were and are one of the greatest. Wham. I mean, wham. They were together for such a short time and they achieved so much. And I love Andrew Ridgely. Honestly, I love Wham. But all of that success is really due to George Michael. He was just the best amazing singer songwriter producer he just had an ear for writing fantastic music and he shared all of that talent with andrew when they were together as wham and they were such a great duo together and then when he went solo he just soared even higher as a solo artist just you know i've been saying the word legend a lot but like jeez man he was just such he was one of the greats um, and as I said, you know, there are a lot of really big Wham! songs, but everything she wants, I think it's my favorite, and that's why I'm including it here on this playlist. 
Uh, track 20 is Ola More by Erasure, a song by English synth pop duo Erasure released in April 1986 as their third single. Written by Erasure members Vince Clark and Andy Bell, it is a lament from someone experiencing unrequited love. The lyrics are Broke my heart, now I'm aching for you. Broke my heart, now I'm aching for you. Hola, amor, la, 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 la. Oh, it's such a good song. In 1986, Hola, amor climbed to number 85 on the UK singles chart and became Erasure's first big hit in South Africa, reaching number two. In Germany, number 16. In Australia, number 13. And they're only number one. Uh, and they're only one in France at number 14. In the United States, the song's biggest impact was on the Hot Dance Music Club Play chart, where it hit number three on July 26, 1986. Erasure is an English synth-pop duo consisting of singer-songwriter Andy Bell and songwriter and keyboardist Vince Clark. They formed in London in 1985. Their debut single was Who Needs Love Like That? From their fourth single, Sometimes, the duo established themselves on the UK singles chart, becoming one of the most successful artists of the late 1980s to mid-1990s. Erasure has penned over 200 songs and has sold over 28 million albums worldwide. From 1986 to 2007, Erasure achieved 24 consecutive top 40 hits in the UK. By 2009, 34 of their 37 chart-eligible singles and EPs had made the UK top 40, with 17 climbing into the top 10. At the 1989 Brit Awards, Erasure won the Brit Award for Best British Group. They also had three top, they also had three top 20 U.S. hits with the songs A Little Respect and Always, and the highest charting U.S. single on the Billboard Hot 100 being their 1988 single Chains of Love, which hit number 12 on the chart. The duo is most popular in their native UK and mainland Europe, specifically Germany, Denmark, and Sweden, and also in South America, especially Argentina, Brazil, Chile, and Peru. The band is also popular within the LGBTQ community, from whom openly gay Belle has become an icon. As a teenager, Vince Clark was inspired to make electronic music after hearing world synth band Orchestral Movements in the Dark, which is another great band, by the way an influence on Erasure's work. He became a founding member of Depeche Mode, which I did not know. I did not know that Vince Clark was the founding member of Depeche Mode, which is crazy to me, and the sole writer of their first three singles, including the breakthrough top 10 hit, Just Can't Get Enough. Wow, I did not know that. After leaving the band in late 1981, Clark forged a similarly notable career with the duo Yazoo, known as Yaz, in the United States. After two hit albums in as many years... From 1982 to 1983, he split with Yazoo partner Alison Moyet, and he formed Erasure by placing an advertisement in Melody Maker looking for a vocalist for a new music project. Peterborough-born Andy Bell phoned and got a call back a few days later. Bell practiced for the audition listening to Alison Moyet, Susie and the Banshees, and the Communards. It went well, and he was chosen, obviously. Clark had been his hero. Erasure have said that their name came from the 1977 David Lynch movie Eraserhead. I mean, what a great story about how Erasure came to be. I, maybe I'm dumb. Maybe I'm just like not paying attention, but I did not know that Vince Clark, A, was the founding member of Depeche Mode, and B, wrote their first three hit singles. I also was not aware that he was in Yes with Alison Moyet. Like, oh God, I'm just so dumb. Um, 
and that Andy Bell was a fan, and then that's how they became Erasure, and then they became, like, this other great group. Like, Jesus, man, Vince Clark. Wow. That's cool. Um, there are so many, uh, I just listed, there, were, there are so many uh, great Erasure songs, but Oh L'Amour, Oh L'Amour, La 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 La, that's always been my favorite. So when I'm thinking about duos and I'm thinking about Erasure, I'm definitely thinking about Oh L'Amour, track 20 on this playlist. Track 21 is Can't Live Without Your Love and Affection by Nelson, a song by American hard rock band Nelson. Hard rock band, come on. Uh, It was released in 1990 on Geffen Records and backed with Will You Love Me. The song was based on a crush on Cindy Crawford. I mean, everybody crushed on Cindy Crawford in the early 90s, let's be honest. The music video features model and actress Judy Aronson, who first appears on the cover of a magazine called Vague, a parody of Vogue magazine. The song itself is known for its technical drumming involving syncopation and double bass and virtuoso guitar soloing. The song topped the Billboard Hot 100 on September 29, 1990, becoming the only single from the band to, to chart, to top the chart. This made uh, Nelson, in which Nelson's own Matthew Gunner and, I'm oh, sorry, Nelson is made up of the twins, Matthew and Gunner Nelson. They were the sons of Ricky Nelson. Uh, So this made Nelson the only family to have three generations of number one singles, which is crazy. Uh, I'll get to that. So Nelson is an American rock band founded by singer-songwriters Matthew and Gunnar Nelson, twin sons of Ricky Nelson and Kristen Nelson. The band achieved success during the early 1990s with their double platinum debut album, After the Rain, which featured their number one hit, Can't Live Without Your Love and Affection. Matthew and Gunnar also perform under the name of Ricky Nelson Remembered as a tribute to their father. They are listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the only family to reach number one record status in three consecutive generations, beginning with grandparents, Ozzy and Harriet Nelson, then Ricky Nelson, then Nelson. So cool. But let's be honest, Nelson are really what hit wonders. But that hit, pretty good hit. Um, I have memory. I remember this music video. This kid is laying on his bed in his bedroom. He has a poster of Nelson on his wall. And I think he falls asleep. And then Nelson come out of the poster and they pull him into the poster. And he's in the music video and like they save his life or something. I don't know. It's, it's something like that. Um, but you know, one hit, definite wonders, Nelson come from a very important music family, the Nelson family, and uh, this is a great song, you know. I I don't think about this song very often, but I was going through, like, all these duos that I love, and I was like, oh, yeah, Nelson. Loved that song. So, track 21 on this playlist. Track 22 is Devil Doll by Drab City, a song from the 2020 album Good Songs for Bad People which you may recall was listed as one of my favorite albums of the year. Um, I also listed another uh, Drab City song as one of my favorite songs from 2020 in that episode, which I uh, released a few weeks ago, the end of 2020. Drab City is made up of early 2000s witch house pioneer, ooh, a.k.a. San Franciscan Chris Dexter Greenspan, and the Berlin-based Bosnian Muslim producer Asia, a.k.a. Islamic Girls. Their music evokes dream pop 
trip-hop, dub, jazz, doo-wop, and soundtrack vibes. Their glitchy songs of violence and paranoia radiate jazzy, David Axelrod meets Barry Adamson, Adamson arrangements, quivering flutes, spy flick guitars, mellotron strings, smeary synth textures, rumbling bass, low-slung hip-hop beats, and mellifluous, mellifluous vocals. And all of that very descriptive language comes from Pop Matters. Drab City, a new band, you know, they just came out last year. I loved their album. Uh, I love uh, pretty much every song on the record. Um, You know, Chris Greenspan and Asia make such a great duo. I think they're dating. They make like a really cute couple. I think they're together as a couple. Um, But I love, you know, Chris's solo stuff with Ooh and I loved Asia's stuff with Islamic Girls, and then them together as Dreb City are like this new power duo that I'm a very new fan of. So Devil Doll, great song. Check it out uh, on this playlist, uh, track 22 on this playlist. Track 23 is Walking with a Ghost by Tegan and Sarah, a song by Tegan and Sarah from their 2004 album So Jealous, mostly written by Sarah Quinn, but credited to both band members and released as a single in 2005. The song was famously covered by the White Stripes on an EP released six months after their album Get Behind Me Satan. I almost featured... well. One of my favorite White Stripes songs is also their cover of Walking with a Ghost. But, like I said, I wanted to feature a song where Meg was doing the singing. So I was like, oh, I can just feature the actual song by Tegan and Sarah, which is why it's on this playlist. Tegan and Sarah are a Canadian indie pop duo formed in 1998 in Calgary, Alberta, composed of identical twin sisters, Tegan Rain Quinn and Sarah Kirsten Quinn, born September 19th, 1980. Both musicians are songwriters and multi-instrumentalists. The pair have released nine studio albums and numerous EPs. The duo earned a Grammy nomination in 2012 for their DVD live album, Get Along. Their ninth album, Hey, I'm Just Like You, was released on September 27th, 2019. Their memoir, High School, was released on September 24th, 2019. So Tegan and Sarah are still releasing new stuff to this day. Um... Tegan and Sarah are cool. I love that they're identical twin sisters. I think they're gay or one of them's gay. I'm not entirely sure. Um, But uh, I think so because I remember thinking like, cool, man. Cool, Tegan and Sarah. I love that. Uh, Walking with the Ghost is such a great song. It's so catchy. Uh, The White Stripes version is great, but um, definitely prefer the Tegan and Sarah original. So... Walking with the Ghost, Tegan and Sarah, track 23. Track 24 is Pain by Boy Harsher, a song from their 2018 EP, Lesser Man. Boy Harsher is an American electronic music duo formed in 2013 in Savannah, Georgia. Currently based in Northampton, Massachusetts, the duo consists of vocalist Jay Matthews and producer Augustus Muller. The duo has amassed a cult following since their formation and their song Pain became an underground hit. Matthews and Muller own and run the label Nude Club, which which is exclusively devoted to Boy Harsher and related artists. Um, Boy Harsher is a new band for me, just like Drab City. These two duos are new to me. Boy Harsher has been out for a while, obviously since 2013, but I've only become aware of them in the past 
year, maybe two. They their sound is very gothy. It's kind of the music that I would listen to if I was like at a goth club. I'm sure they play them at goth clubs. Um, I spend a lot of time listening to old gothy industrial music. So um, it's hard for me to learn about new acts. Uh, but Boy Harsher definitely falls in that kind of vein of music. And I, I, I don't think I've ever heard a bar- Boy Harsher song I don't like. So um, I'm still learning about them. Pain is one of their greatest in my opinion, greatest songs. And I wanted to feature Boy Harsher in this playlist and on this episode. So track 24 is Pain. And track 25, I wanted to save the best for last, Pluto Drive by The Creatures, a song from their 1989 album, Boomerang. The Creatures were a band, an English duo formed in 1981 by vocalist Susie Sue and drummer Budgie of the group Susie and the Banshees. The Creatures released their first EP, Wild Things, in 1981. They recorded four studio albums, Feast in 1983, Boomerang in 1989, Anima Animus in 1999, and Hi in 2003. With Feast, the band dabbled in Exotica, On Boomerang, they added a Spanish-tinged vibe to their music with elements of flamenco, blues, and jazz. In the late 90s, they developed a more urban sound. The Times then described their music as adventurous art rock built around Susie's extraordinary voice and drummer Budgie's battery of percussion. In their last work, they returned to their roots while heading east with an ode to Japanese minimalism. They disbanded in 2005. I could probably talk about the creatures for a long time, but I realize this episode is already kind of long. So let me just say, Susie the Banshees, as you know, one of my favorite bands of all time. They, I podcasted about them like really early on at the start of this podcast. Love Susie the Banshees. They, as the group, Susie the Banshees, they released great, great albums. And then in between those albums, Susie and Budgie, who then got married, started their own thing called The Creatures. And they consistently release stuff throughout the entire career of the creatures, uh, of Susan the Banshees. And then after Susan the Banshees broke up, they continued um, to, to release until they broke up as a couple got divorced and all of that. So um, I think Anima Animus is my favorite creatures album. It's very electronic. It's so good. It's so good. Unfortunately, it is not available on streaming, which just breaks my heart. So for sure, I would have featured a song from Anima Animus uh, on this playlist. But that's not to say that Pluto Drive is not one of my favorite, favorite creature songs. Uh, it's a Boomerang is a fantastic album. Um, so if I couldn't pick something from Anima Animus, for sure, my favorite song was going to be Pluto Drive. Let's go to Pluto. Let's live on the dot. Such a great song. The, the, the music is great. The lyrics are great. And um, when the creatures toured to promote the release of Anima Animus, I saw them many times. I got to meet Susie and Budgie and I got a photo with Susie and she signed my CDs and they performed Pluto Drive on those those tours, on those shows. So love, love Pluto Drive. And that's why I wanted to save the creatures as the last duo uh, on this playlist. Except for an honorable mention. Okay, 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 okay. I know, this episode is already really, really long, but 
I, oh God, I just went really, really back and forth about this final song. Uh, and I decided to add them as an honorable mention because technically it's not a duo, but it kind of is. So let's just get to it. So track 26 is Fight the Power by Public Enemy, a song by American hip-hop group Public Enemy released as a single in the summer of 1989 on Motown Records. It was conceived at the request of film producer, sorry, film director Spike Lee, who sought a musical theme for his 1989 film Do the Right Thing. First issued on the film's 1989 soundtrack, a different version was featured on Public Enemy's 1990 studio album Fear of a Black Planet. Fight the Power incorporates various samples and allusions to African-American culture, including civil rights exhortations, black church services, and the music of James Brown. As a single, Fight the Power reached number one on the hot rap singles and number 20 on the hot R&B singles charts. It was named the best single of 1989 by the Village Voice in their Paz and Jop critics poll. It has become Public Enemy's best-known song and has received accolades as one of the greatest songs of all time by critics and publications. In 2001, the song was ranked number 288 in the Songs of the Centuries list compiled by the Recording Industry Association of America and the National Endowment of the Arts. In 1989, Public Enemy was preparing for the European leg of, of the Run House's tour with Run DMC before embarking on the tour Film director Spike Lee approached Public Enemy with the proposition of making a song for one of his movies. Lee, who was directing Do the Right Thing, sought to use the song as the leitmotif in the film about racial tension in a Brooklyn, New York neighborhood. He said that his decision in a he said of his decision in a subsequent interview for Time, I wanted it to be defiant, I wanted it to be angry, I wanted it to be very rhythmic. I thought right away of Public Enemy. While flying over to Italy on the tour, Chuck D was inspired to write most of the song. He recalled his idea, quote, I wanted to have sort of like the same theme as the original Fight the Power by the Isley Brothers and fill it in with some kind of modernist views on what our surroundings were at the particular time. Now, that Isley Brothers song that he mentioned uh, was a song that that, uh, was sparked in a 1975 recording session in which the guitarist Ernie Isley inspired by the news. The song was written almost fully by Ernie Isley with additional instrument, instrumental background composition by the band's keyboardist, Chris Jasper. After playing the track on his guitar to his older brothers, Ronnie, Rudy, and O'Kelly, the vocal trio cut a unison lead vocal track in one take. Ernie was taken aback that Ron had uttered bullshit, like the song has the word bullshit in it, which is a big deal back in the early 70s. When asked why he said the word, Ron simply replied, because it needed to be said, and it's what people want to hear. The song reflected a negative opinion of authority figures, a feeling shared by all the band members, which can explain the intensified vocalizing by Ron, Rudy, and Kelly. Later, the trio added the background chant, Fight It, to merge with the brothers' vocal ad-libbing near the end. So, originally, the Isley Brothers wrote a song and recorded a song called Fight the Power, which was like an anti-authoritarian song. And Chuck D was inspired by that song to write another song called Fight the Power, which was inspired by the original song that was more about what was going on in the late 80s, early 90s. Public Enemy is an American hip-hop group formed by Chuck D and Flavor Flav on Long Island in New York in 1985. Chuck D and Flavor Flav formed Public Enemy as a duo. 
the group came to attention for their music with a heavy political message alongside strong criticisms of the media of the United States, with many of their works also revolving around frustrations and concerns of the African-American community. Public Enemy's debut album, Yo Bum Rush, The Show, was released in 1987 to, to critical acclaim, and their second album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, in 1988, was the first hip-hop album to top the Village Voice's Paz and Jop's critic poll. Their next three albums, Fear of Black Planet in 1990, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Back in 1991, and Muse Sicken Hour Mess Age in 1994, were also well-received by music critics. Public Enemy's first four albums during the late 1980s and early 90s were all certified either gold or platinum and were recorded and were, according to music critic Robert Hilbert in 1998, quote, the most acclaimed body of work ever by a hip hop act. Critic Stephen Thomas Erwine called them, quote, the most influential and radical band of their time. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013. They were honored with the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award at the 62 Grammy Awards uh, and Public Enemy is a group because they had a DJ, DJ Terminator X, who was later replaced by DJ Lord, and Professor Griff was the group's Minister of Information. So these guys were in the group as well. So technically, Public Enemy is a group, but the music, singing, songwriting, rapping, all of that is uh, Chuck D and Flava Flav, who to me are like, the duo of Public Enemy. So technically, Fight the Power and Public Enemy, not really a duo, but I felt they were worthy of uh, inclusion as an honorable mention because Chuck D and Flavor Flav are an iconic duo and Public Enemy is just a very important musical act. And I mean, Fight the Power, Public Enemy one of the greatest, one of the greatest, like Do the Right Thing is just such an amazing film. I I wasn't really aware that the movie was based on the song. Like he, like Spike Lee was working on this movie and he wanted a song to anchor the whole entire thing. And then Chuck D and Flavor Flav just like wrote him one. And it's one of the greatest. I don't know. It's just a song that just stays with you. Uh, The power, you know, the lyrics, it was very bold. I mean, it seems bold to other people, probably not to them, but it's very bold to talk about like how Elvis Presley was a hero to many, but he was just a racist to to them. Like, yeah, that's true. Just, I don't know. The song speaks for itself and technically not a duo, but kind of is a duo. So that's why I included Fight the Power by Public Enemy as the bonus track, track 26 on this playlist. And... That's all I have for you for this week. Yeah, this episode went kind of long. I didn't expect it to go this long, but I had a lot of information about the songs and the artists that I wanted to relay. And these songs are very important to me and I love them very much. And I wanted to share them with all of you. These are my favorite songs by duos. So I hope you enjoyed it. Check out the playlist bundled together on Spotify. You can listen to this episode on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, Spotify is like the home base for playlists and episodes altogether. So search for Spooky Electric. Uh, Links are on the Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Yeah, so that's it. All I have for for this week. I hope you had a great week. I hope you have a great week ahead. And I'll be coming at you next time. Bye.
Each episode of Spooky Electric has a playlist that I have created for each individual episode. The playlist can be found on my Spotify account, Trent Venegas, in the playlist folder titled Spooky Electric. The playlist track listings are listed on the Spooky Electric Instagram at Spooky Electric, where the O's are zeros. S-P-0-0-K-Y-E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C.